0: Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where you're all about going beyond curriculum, beyond programs, beyond best practices to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that produce disciples of Jesus Christ who in turn disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes. I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries.
1: And I'm Steve Manscar, Director of Wesleyan
0: Leadership also at Discipleship Ministries. Today's episode is kind of a part two, an earlier podcast. We did the biblical basis for small groups, and now we're going to follow that up with the theological basis for small groups. I don't want to say that we're necessarily going to a new or deeper level. Rather, I think what we're doing here is bringing the church's theological reflections to bear on the nature of small groups. And to begin, I want to I want to begin with a quote from Gareth Eisnogel. We've mentioned his book, The Biblical Basis for Small Groups, before. He said, way back in 1994, this is the year I graduated high school, so a long time ago. I had a full head of hair back then. said, while the Christian world is increasingly bullish on small groups, the Christian small group movement has experienced very little theological depth. So take that quote and put that side by side with a book that I just finished by Henry Cloud and John Townsend called Making Small Groups Work, in which they say this. This is just from a couple years ago. While we have a cultural movement of small groups in the church, we often lack a theological vision for their role, nor do we have practical ways of how to do that vision. So what is this, almost thirty years later? 30, I think my math's correct there, um, that we we still in the church don't have a good theological vision for small groups. And I think this is something us as as Methodists in the Wesleyan movement have something to bring to the table and say about small groups. And that's what we're going to explore. Yes,
1: we we definitely have a lot to bring to the table.
0: (laughs) And and I know, especially you, Steve, and I look forward to what we're going to get into today. And I'm, you know, when we did the biblical basis for small groups, I began, pressed the Jesus button and jumped off. Well, I'm going to begin similarly and press the God button. Right, we're going to talk theology first. (laughs) Um, When we look at theology, if I had to sum up the Bible or what what God's about in in one sentence, uh, this is, you know, I could do this in lots of ways, but, you know, it's always going to be an oversimplification, but but here I go. Uh, The triune God's mission of reconciling the world to himself. That's what God's up to. What what he's up to in the world, that's what we find in Scripture. And that's in 2 Corinthians 5.19. I also think we can see that in lots of other passages, especially even in John 3.16. And so what we find when we look at who God is, is relationship. God is a communion of three self-giving persons in mutual love such that they are one. And it's, a, it's a radical vision of, of personhood. It's a radical vision of, of who God is. And amazingly, he's inviting us into that relationship. And it's, it's that participatory grace where he calls us to be a part of his mission. And I think this gives us a, a lot of basis for what small groups should look like and how they should operate. And I see this as well in back to pressing the Jesus button, right? And and from Philippians chapter two, where, where Jesus is self-emptying. He's totally giving of himself. And I think that's a vision for what small groups, what should happen in small groups, is that our our the communal nature, the relationships are are that way so that's that's my sort of in summary theological basis for for small groups
1: well i want to add something to that please do i didn't hear okay um i like your i I agree completely that the rationale the theological rationale for small groups is grounded in the doctrine of the trinity and the doctrine of god um and god who god is, is that god is not a solitary being right. or spirit, but rather God is three—Father, Son, and Spirit—united together in love, each distinct, each with their own person yeah. and work, um, but each interpenetrating each other. That's that. Well, that's you know, if you yeah. remember your your theolog- your your systematic theology yeah and that, that, there that, that wonderful <laughs> Greek word perichoresis. that was the word
0: I was trying to come up with I couldn't remember it yeah they
1: interpenetrate one another they yeah. they 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 participate in one another's work and lives um, but they're united and they're united in love in one, so there is this mystery that they're they're three in one um, but they're as you said they're this community of divine love, right? Yeah, that ineffable mystery. Ineffable mystery. Love exactly. that phrase. <laughs> and also, by the way, Charles Wesley wrote a whole collection, a book of hymns on the Trinity, oh. which tells you why this is really important yeah. stuff, and you know. particularly for us Westlands. The thing that I would add to that is that human beings are created in the image of this God. Yes, absolutely. What, what is called the imago Dei which we all is in all of us. And, you know, that's found in Genesis 1, 26. Yep. God created us in God's image. So, and what I'm, what that does not mean is that either you or I look <laughs> like God. Oh, uh, I'm so glad. Yeah.
0: God's not a bald man. But <laughs> bald what it God.
1: does mean is that we share the character of God in, in our personhood. Yeah which means that we are created for relationship, that we possess the gift of the ability to give and receive, even the need to give the and need. receive yeah. love.
0: Absolutely.
1: That we need one another. Just as God, the, you know, the God the Father needs God the Son and the Father and the Son need the Holy Spirit and the Spirit needs the Father and the Son. They're all interdependent with each one another. Reciprocal. And, yeah. and we are created.
0: Yeah
1: to be interdependent with one another.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And that's what it means to be fully human, is to be in relationship. We are creatures who are made, who
0: need relationships of love and trust. Which is sort of a radical notion in our individualized society, that we need, need each other. Yeah. And I think that's pretty radical. And,
1: and in order to be
0: fully human, Yeah.
1: And and just think about our lives, how we yearn for connection with others.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and th- this is where, as for of soapbox messages, knowing our theology is is healing. And when we have bad theology, it it really does hurt. Um, I'll I'll not get on that soapbox now. We're <laughs> not, we're not there. Um, but but theology is so important, and especially this understanding of of who God is. Um, and and one of the things we were talking about earlier, and I'll let you expand on this, uh, Steve, is. But it's, you know, as Bart said, it's, it's not a, how did he, how did he say it uh, quite famously, that uh, Christianity is personal but not private. Right.
1: Just like that's baptism. Mm. And our, our relationship with God is deeply personal, but it is not private. Yeah. Which is why baptism ought not be done privately. That's right. Baptism is an act of worship done in the congregation, in the gathered body of the church. And it's a public statement of faith and commitment to living the Christian life. Yep. And we all participate in that. And so, yeah, it's our, our faith is deeply personal, but it is not private. That's and, and Wesley understood that really, really well.
0: Yeah. And I think when we understand God this way, it then impacts how we understand not just what he's up to in the world, what, what God is up to in the world, but how we understand salvation. That salvation for us as Wesleyans is not just simply about conversion or, or being born again, but has this whole whole house that, that John was like to talk about that we, we move into. So uh, Steve, say a little more about how our understanding of salvation also then impacts how we understand and, and do small groups.
1: Well, I think salvation—it's certainly you know the beginning is to be that 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 sure. new that new birth. Yeah, that, and I shouldn't underestimate that is that, that yeah. is so important. And Wesley certainly believed that was absolutely necessary for salvation is the experience of the new birth yeah. and regeneration. But that's the beginning. That's right. Gets the ball rolling. It gets the demands. ball going. Yeah. That's that's the beginning because. That's what birth is. It's the beginning of a life that happens over time and goes on.: you know, to ba- Babies are born to grow up.
0: <laughs> you know, a baby that stays a baby doesn't ever leave your house. <laughs> and, well, I, Sorry, two teenage kids.: <laughs> Yeah.
1: The, a baby that stays a baby doesn't live.
0: Well, there's that too. Yeah, right? that's that's better said, yeah. If it doesn't grow
1: and change and mature, it dies. Yeah. That's what that means. So we are born in order to grow up and to become fully the man or the woman that God created us to be in the image of Christ. And that's all and relationships ah, are kind of, essential yeah. to that. It salvation is all about relationship. The The primary relationship is the relationship with God in Christ, Mm -hmm. but he then, we are baptized into a community in which we live out this relationship with the people that Christ gives us in the church. And we are to be witnesses to Jesus with others in the world. So it's all about relationships. And I think a helpful, you know, it's helpful for me anyway, is uh, it's to understand this dynamic, this process, is in, uh, I think it's an important sermon, another important sermon by John Wesley. It's sermon number 85. I love how he numbered his sermons. <laughs> um, and the title is On Working Out Your Salvation. The text for that sermon is Philippians two twelve and thirteen, in which Paul writes, "Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure." So what he's saying, and 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 if you're familiar with you're all or I'm sure are familiar with that part of Philippians, because what comes right before that yeah. is begins with the fifth verse let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on to describe who Jesus yep. is, the character of Jesus. That, can be, that the goal is that as we live out our salvation, as we work it out, the character of Jesus then comes alive in us. Mm. And that's why Paul says the salvation is a pure gift mm. that God has given us there's nothing we can do to deserve or earn it. It's a pure gift. But once we receive that gift, then that shapes how we live. Yeah. From that moment on. Yeah. And that's what Paul talks about working it out.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's helpful.
1: And so the and Wesley develops that and helps explain us helps us understand what that means in this sermon. And there's a a wonderful He quotes Augustine and he even says, you might think Augustine wouldn't agree with this, but (laughs) Augustine said this, he, God, that made us without ourselves, that God that made us without ourselves will not save us without ourselves.
0: Wow, that's interesting.
1: And so that's that's getting at what Paul means when he says, work out your salvation. In, in order to be saved, we must participate in what God wants to do in us through, the, uh. through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to cooperate with God and God's grace, prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying. And we do that by participating in the relationships that God gives us in the church through baptism. And we do that through... Um, we live out this relationship with Christ by forming habits yep. that keep us connected with Christ and with our neighbors and with the world who God loves. And those, those Wesley called those practices works of piety, which are the practices that we the habits that we take on to participate in our relationship with God. That's balanced with the works of mercy which is how the practices of how we love our neighbor as ourselves. So the relationships help keep us grounded in Christ by reminding us and giving and providing the support and accountability we need to practice these, what Wesley called, means of grace that keep us connected with God and with one another by doing what Jesus told us to do. Because I think in a previous podcast, we read, you know, that, or no, I heard it in church on Sunday. Ah,
0: okay, it's all blending together now. I
1: heard it in church on Sunday, in the scripture that was read, that I don't call you servants anymore, I call you friends. Mm-hmm. And you are friends if you do what I tell you to do. Mm-hmm. You do what I command you. And that then Jesus gives the command that you shall love one another as I have loved you. This is one of the, loving one another in small groups, building relationships of trust and love, helping each other habitually practice the means of grace is how we love one another. It's how we obey that commandment of Jesus and how we live as friends of Jesus. And as we're a friend of Jesus, we're friends to one another.
0: Yeah, well said. I think you've done a, a masterful job of connecting our theology with our understanding of salvation and and our role in that, our participatory role of being invited into that and then living that out, um, hopefully growing in maturity, growing in sanctification. And you you could think
1: about, and others have written about this, that salvation is like a dance, like the Trinity is like a dance. Yeah, that's good. The Father, Son, and Spirit dancing together and inviting us to join in that dance. And that's what... The means of grace and the relationships, you know, we're we're all in this dance together, um, and it's it changes us into the persons God created us to be.
0: Yeah, that's good. That, it's always been a helpful analogy. It'd be more helpful if I had any clue about how to dance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day. Oh, maybe one day I'll get there. So let's let's draw then one more connect connecting point, and that is how the Wesleyan movement helped do this from its beginning, from its fa- from its, when it was a movement more than it was an institution or a church, it lived this out. So, so say more about that.
1: Well, Wesley, the, the Methodist societies, which in the beginning, when it was a movement, that's what, you know, we need to understand the, when we're talking about Methodi- early Methodism, we're talking about religious societies that were, by their nature, um, highly disciplined communities. Who whose whose focus and mission was, you know, their mission statement was to reform the nation, particularly the church, and to spread scriptural For holiness, holiness over, mm. over the land. Yeah, great quote. And so the whole culture of the Methodist society was focused on helping people to work out their salvation.
0: Yeah, to live into it. Yeah.
1: Um, in the church and in the world. Because all the Methodists, if you were a Methodist, you were also expected to be active in your parish church. It was a both hand. It was a both-and. You were to worship on Sunday morning in your parish church. That's where you receive the sacrament. That's where you participate in the sacrament of baptism and, of course, the Lord's Supper. In the society is where people receive the, you know, they were given they were, they were all Methodists had to be in a small group required. It was called a class. And I think we talked about this in a previous uh, podcast and anybody that knows their Methodist history knows about the class meeting. In fact, the class meetings getting been getting a lot of attention the last few years, which is great. And I'm all for that. That's a big part of my work too is help to retradition the class meeting for today and the office of class leader. So if you were a Methodist, you were automatically in a group of 12 to 15 men and women who met every week for mutual accountability and support for living the Christian life shaped by the Methodist rule of life, which we know as the general rules: to do no harm by avoiding evil, by doing good um, as often right. as you can to as many as you can. That's I'm paraphrasing that. Sure. Enough. Oh, good. And then by attending upon all the ordinances of God or practicing what Wesley called the works of piety. Um, the the public worship of God, searching the um, ministry of the word, which was listening to the word of God read and expounded, the Lord's supper, searching the scriptures, family and private prayer and fasting or abstinence. So through the class meeting you met every week with your class leader who was a seasoned disciple of Jesus Christ, Mm. a peer who has been on this dance or on this journey longer than you and who has been, it's been determined by the leaders of the society that this is a person that we can trust with the care of souls.
0: Gotcha. So there was sort of a, an intentional discipleship of those who had, who are mentoring others. They were, I call them discipleship coaches. Okay, good, I like that, that's a good language.
1: They coached others in discipleship. They're disciples who made disciples. Yeah. There was one question in the class, which was, how is it with your soul? The way they put it in the 18th century is how does your soul prosper?
0: (laughs) I like that, how does your soul prosper?
1: And each person would be given time to give their account of how their soul has prospered, how it is with their soul, And their response was shaped by how they lived and practiced the general rules, the rule of life, how they did no harm by avoiding evil, how they did good with their neighbors and their members of their family and anyone else that they encountered in the last week, and how they're doing with practicing those works of piety, participating in their relationship with God. The class leader could ask questions, could give advice, and then they would pray for that person, the, the whole group would pray for that person, and then they would sing a stanza or two of a hymn. And then they'd move on to the next person. And this process always began with, the, cl- the class leader always started with himself or herself. Oh. Sort of to set an example.
0: And I like that, especially the way that question was worded about prosperity. What a countercultural way of thinking of prosperity. Yeah. Right, of, yeah. Uh, of prosperity in terms of salvation and the experience of life in Christ and having that mind formed in you and not just wealth and all those things that go with it today. So so that was the class.
1: And so what this this system of small groups tells us that the Methodists understood that their faith, their discipleship was deeply personal, but it was not private. My faith was the business of every member of my class. Oh, wow. And certainly my class leader. And they all understood that. And, they were, and we all understood that we're here to love and to care and to nurture one another. To build one another up in love by watching over one another in love. So the, the theological emphasis of the class was convincing and prevenient grace.
0: Okay,
1: yeah, makes sense. It was sort of the entry level and that's, what, you know, that's where a lot of people stayed.
0: Okay, in the, Interesting. You, know, you
1: had to be in a class. But when you were ready for a deeper level of intimacy and a deeper level of faith and trust with Christ which goes together, right? You could be in a smaller group as well, called a band, which was 6 to 8 people. Your band was either your band was determined by your gender okay. and your marital status. So I would be in a band with three or four other um, married men, as would you, Scott. My wife would be in a band with married women. A single woman would be in a band with single women. And a single man would be in a band with single men. And the reason for that is one of the primary dynamics of the, the, the band was you would confess your sins to each other. So this is a deeper level of trust and intimacy um, that goes along with a, more, a maturing of faith. You're, you're, you're willing to take more risk, really. Yeah, with, it's got that sort of culture. That's what, that's what happens with a couple that gets closer and closer with each other and really love each other over time. They share their entire lives with each other. They don't keep anything from one another. And that's what the band did. You confessed to your brothers or to your sisters. And then you prayed, because they took seriously the the passage from James. I always forget the verse number. It's the fifth chapter of James.
0: Around 19, I think.
1: To confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. That's That's one of the parts of, that's an important dynamic of the band, that it, Help people grow deeper, and the, the, the ge- theological emphasis here was on just, justifying grace, okay. moving towards sanctification. And then there was a third group called the Select Society, which was really, as I understand, the Select Society. It was a group for the leaders of the society, because leaders of if any small group ministry needs good leaders, and yeah, you need half yeah, a way absolutely. of supporting those leaders and building them up. Um, in their lives and in their ministry and in their work. And that's what the the Select Society did. Wherever John Wesley went, he would meet with a Select Society. Oh, okay. He would unburden himself with those men and women. Unburden himself. And the focus of the Select Society was on sanctification, was moving towards entire sanctification. So there's this interrelated system of small groups united you know with that that as you matured in your faith in your discipleship in the christian life and were ready for a deeper level of intimacy and trust there was a group for you you know the beginning group was the class and that was a group for everyone then there was the band for people who are ready for a deeper level of intimacy and love and trust. And then there was a select society for those who were ready for leadership responsibility.
0: So I have a question that might put you on the spot here, So because we didn't talk about this beforehand. Did you have any any notion of what the percentages looked like? How What percentage of folks were in a class meeting versus a band in society?
1: Well, I know everyone was in a class. So you at least had to be there. Yes, that was a requirement. Yeah, the band and select society were all optional. Okay, and, and I I don't have the answer to okay. your question. Fair enough. No, uh, I'd have to look that one up, Scott.
0: <laughs> yeah, gotta give you some kind of homework. I right? gotta gotta, yeah. gotta keep you on your toes. That's, That's good. a good
1: question, though. The guy who could answer it is Tom Albin.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, we have to go down the hall and yeah, and uh, and find out. So, this is extremely helpful, I think, in terms of drawing together our theology, our understanding of salvation, and what the Methodist movement began. I mean, I know there's a large conversation in churches that I hear from. They want to put together a discipleship pathway. And, and this is the perfect opportunity for them to sort of reclaim our Wesleyan roots and look at, hey, we've, we've done some of this work already and, and can draw on that. So I want to, as we get towards closing here, I want to draw some practical applications for what we've talked about. One of the things I would suggest is in small groups is make sure there's opportunity for people to share their testimonies. You know, how does your soul prosper? Right, give them that room. I mean, too often we sort of get curriculum driven, and we've you know what's the next curriculum. And there needs to be space for people to unburden themselves. Um, And so I think that's that's one way to to do this. Another. Is to avoid spiritualizing. I think we've we've all been in groups where someone always has the the right answer, right? They can quote the passage, and and it's almost like they do that to block out. Well, let's not go any deeper here. You know, I don't I don't want to get personal here. So, but I have the right answer. We can move on to the next question. And I think a good leader would, would sort of stop and and dig a little deeper and, and say more about that, and and find ways to to not just get at the right answers, but how are we building empathy? How are we Getting a group dynamic that's about growing vulnerability, that that self-emptying notion of of who Christ was and what He's calling us to 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 do there. Um, and one of the other things we talked about beforehand, as we talked about this, is the need for confidentiality. Mm-hmm. And I'll let you expand on that.
1: Well, this is I think it's important for any small group that the focus is on maturity. You know growing in discipleship. And not just knowledge. Right. It's informing disciples. And okay. disciples. Um, so, and, and we talk about this a lot, and, and I, I talk about it in my covenant discipleship workshops when I do training for covenant discipleship, and it's in the resources, in, in the brand new book that's just been published, Disciples Making Disciples. The Importance of Confidentiality. In other words, whatever is set in the group stays in the group. That that's an important part of the trust building. That's yeah. essential for the success and the mission of the group. That Absolutely. you need to be able to trust one another. That what you say here is not like Scott. Not you and I are in a covenant subject yep. group together. And my wife knows you. My wife knows everybody that's in my group. And sometimes I'm tempted. You know, on Thursday night after <laughs> you know we meet on Thursday morning, and Gina and I have dinner on Thursday night. You or Taylor may something say, just share something about what's going on with your kids.
0: Oh, true, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. In prayer request time, yeah.
1: And I'm tempted to share that with yeah. Gina at the dinner table. But then I remember well, they said that, you know, that came up during our conversation in our group. Therefore, it doesn't go past me. It's out of bounds, right. And the reason for that is because Gina also works here, and she might <laughs> run into you and, and, and share be and say, you know, I heard Steve said something about, you know, your, your boys, you yeah. know, playing baseball and stuff. Yeah. That's really great. And then you're going to recall, well, I said that during our group meeting. What else is he telling her? <laughs> I don't want that to happen. Sure. No, that, yeah. I value our, the trust that we have with each other too much in order to break that confidence. And that's, I think, important. You know, you shouldn't hear what you said in your small group waiting in line at the grocery store. Or worse. Or
0: during coffee hour at church. Or or worse. And I've seen groups now beginning to have this conversation, nor should it be on social media either. Or exa- Yes. I mean, that really does become an issue for groups to think about is, as we look at maybe putting a list of expectations together, a covenant together, and confidentiality being one of those. Well, how do we how do we do this with online social media everywhere as well? And so right. that's something else for that's a good point. for groups to to consider. So I hope that, that as we've drawn together in our last episodes about the connection between baptism and discipleship and small groups creating the proper culture within a congregation for small groups, that our theological basis is one of the ways we can think about the culture that happens within a small group. Mm-hmm. So... Um, before we end, um, any, any last words of wisdom, Steve? Well, I want to add one more yeah, practical thing, I thought you the, had one more thing: the yeah.
1: importance of a rule of life.
0: Yeah,
1: um, that I, I encourage congregations to adopt the General Rule of Discipleship as their congregational rule of life, and then what, what that does is it it serves as a guide to keep to to make sure that the congregation is moving forward in its mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. And the way we do that is by doing what Jesus told us to do, right right And so the general rule of discipleship, which is to witness to Jesus Christ in the world and to follow his teachings through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, simply is a practical, easily memorized guide as to how we do th- that's what Jesus told us to do in the great Commandments, you know in his th- you know the great commandments and that new commandment that he gave, to love one another. So each group then can spend some time checking in with each other. How are we, how are we living our, this, this rule? How are we following Jesus in the world? So that just it serves as a helpful guide that keeps us with Christ in the world. And that's yeah. what I, I recommend that uh, small groups and hopefully congregations adopt a rule
0: such as the general rule of discipleship. Yeah, I think that could be so helpful sort of an anchor for right. the whole, whole congregation. So as we wrap up, we want to remind you to, to be interactive with us. Email us. You can find our emails at umcdiscipleship.org on our, the Discipleship Ministries website. You can also find us on Twitter. You can find me at Rev Scott tweets, and also at UMC Adult Form. Steve, where can, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter
1: at... S. Manskar. So it's at S-M-A-N-S-K-A-R.
0: And I think we're close. I think we're close. I think on our ne- maybe our next or next episode after that, we're going to be announcing some winners, I hope, of, of those who've won some of our free resources. Yeah, so the book sense. is out now. We yeah. can actually give them away. That's right. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I know. Uh, so be interacting with us, and we look forward to connecting with you and being in ministry together with you. So I'm going to close us in prayer, and this prayer comes from... Uh, Trinity Sunday. It it is a rather, rather short prayer, but it comes to us from the Church of South India, and so let's close with this prayer. Everlasting God, you have revealed yourself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and ever live and reign in the perfect unity of love. Grant that we may always hold firmly and joyfully to this faith, and living in praise of your divine Majesty, may finally be one in you who are three persons in one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Till next time, peace.
1: Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.